Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to message number three in this series, Faith Righteousness, the Ultimate Revelation of God. Now, I'm just going to tell you, people draw up the moment they know you're going to talk about righteousness. I'm telling you, and I don't, I don't really blame them because almost anything that you hear about righteousness is either going to be incredibly legalistic or it's going to be incredibly liberal. It's going to be, it's going to be something that you can't really get a handle on. You can't figure out how, how to apply this to your real life. But I'll tell you what, this is one of the most important doctrinal issues that we have to work out if we're going to be stable in our walk with God. It was really interesting. You know, I got I got saved uh, uh, in the in, tail end of the Jesus movement. And um, you know, the big thing back in those days you know, people were saying, look, I don't care about doctrine. I just want to know Jesus. Well, and I, I understand what people meant by that. But the, the real truth is, you know, doctrine is basically your uh, theological beliefs about God or about different subjects in the Bible. And the real truth is your beliefs, according to the Word of God, your beliefs determine the boundaries of everything about your life. They determine whether or not you got yourself locked into limiting boundaries and, and your life is, is uh, getting smaller and smaller and smaller. That it, your, your doctrines determine whether or not you even have boundaries and, or whether or not you just give in to people who put pressure on you. Uh, they have to do, your doctrine has to do with your self-worth, with your confidence, all of these kinds of things, with your faith, the way your faith works. And so doctrine is important. Now, yes, I understand so many people put more emphasis on doctrine than they do on knowing and experiencing God for themselves. But uh, uh, I want to know God, but I also realize that my faith and the way I function in my faith has to do with my beliefs, and my beliefs are based on whatever my doctrine is, even though I may not call it doctrine. I may call it belief, and that, that's all right. You don't have to use the same word. But the key is this. All of our struggles, and we all have struggles. And, you know, you know, some people got struggles uh, giving in to sin. Some people got struggles with guilt and condemnation. Some people got struggles, like I said, with having no boundaries and and, you know, we've all got our own kinds of struggles, and believe it or not, there is, in fact, one doctrinal issue that determines really all of our struggles in life, possibly more than anything else. And, you know, we're going to talk about that today because very specifically, we are, we are answering the question, why am I struggling? Now, let me say this. If you are not serious about God, you're struggling because you're not serious about God. If you are not investing in your heart and writing the Word of God on your heart and, 
and growing in your knowledge of God, then that's that's why you're struggling. There's, there's no big mystery to this. So many people approach Christianity as if this is just a magical thing that if you, you know, if you pray the right prayer and say the right formula that Jesus is going to come into your life and all your problems are going to automatically be fixed. The Bible doesn't present that. That is nowhere in the Bible. Uh, this is a walk of faith. It's not, you know, I always say this. I, I almost despise the term Christian because, uh, you know, uh, that is not a term that God himself relegated to us as the body of Christ. You know, we are called believers. We are called servants. We are called bond servants. We are called disciples. There's all of these things that God calls us in the scripture, and they all point to a very specific function or a very specific way of living. But the word Christian has really no biblical definition because it is not a biblical word. I think the word Christian is in the Bible maybe three times. And the word Christian is something that, that the uh, Gentiles, the unbelievers, that was a term that at, at the church at Antioch, they began to call believers. But God didn't call us that. But today we are called Christian. And so I despise it because, again, it has no biblical meaning. Uh, you know, I want to know, are you a disciple? Are you a believer? Are you a bondservant? Uh, are you what it, whatever uh, of the many, many descriptive biblical terms uh, that, that God calls us? Because how you identify has a lot to do with describing what you really, what your doctrine really is and what you, what you really, really think. So anyhow, um, we're talking about why people struggle. And, and I got news for you. The reason people struggle is always about the beliefs of the heart, which is always based on their doctrinal positions, even though they may never use that word. And like I said, there is one particular doctrine that affects people more than all other other doctrinal positions. Now, well, what's interesting, God warns us that there is a particular subject or a particular doctrine that causes people to, to struggle, to stumble more than any other doctrinal position. And the sad thing is, you know, it always amazes me. You'll be reading the scripture and and you you will tell it's it's a special warning when God, you know, maybe the scripture say, take heed about something, or the scripture will say, Don't be deceived about something. Well, when you come across that kind of terminology, we should quickly realize, oh, well, wait a minute. If this is saying, don't be deceived about this, this is obviously something that I could easily be deceived about. So God's given me a special warning. But we really, uh, as a whole, you know, from people that I have counseled with and ministered to one-on-one -on -one over the last 50 years, people don't really take the read the Bible in a way that seems to be taking it serious and paying attention to what it says. If it says, take heed, if it says, fear not, if it says, don't be deceived, those kinds of terminologies, then we need to pay extra attention to those kinds of situations. But uh, but the Bible warns us that there is, in fact, one thing that actually 
the Bible calls in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the stumbling stone. And Paul identifies it as the stumbling stone of the gospel. And so, and he talks about how people stumble over this stumbling stone. And so if we're warned about it, we really need to take heed. Now, what's interesting, the Bible uh, provides for us all kinds of examples of how people have struggled with the doctrine or the issue of righteousness, but even more specifically than righteousness uh, is the struggle that people have with the doctrine of faith righteousness. Uh, and we'll, you know, we'll we'll go into this describing a lot about faith righteousness, what that means from a biblical perspective. You know, the German philosopher George uh, uh, Hegel or Hegel uh, said this, and I think this is so phenomenal. He says, the only thing that we learn from history is that we learn nothing from history. I say that is so true. You know, I look at what's happening in the, in the history or, or in America today and around the world and the governments of the world. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Anybody who knows history knows that everything that the, that the governments of the world are putting into practice today has been tried. It's never, ever ever work, but somehow uh, we convince ourselves that this time it's going to work because there's something superior about this generation. There's something superior about our national group or something. Well, that's kind of the way it is with, uh, with Scripture. We look back, and God very specifically told us that we should look at the nation of Israel, very specifically their uh, journey out of Egypt across the wilderness into the promised land and that how they govern themselves and how they attempted to relate to God. And that should be a type or a model for us to understand what to do and what not to do. So we have all of these examples through history, but the real truth is we don't really pay attention to them. You know, in the book of Romans, Paul, Paul says this, and Romans chapter nine, Paul is asking this question. He says, so what shall we say? He says, the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness. Now, you know, man, that's got to make, a, that's got to make the Jews angry, and it's got to make the Jews despise us. It's got to make the Jews think that we're a bunch of idiot pagans who know nothing about the Bible, but Paul is addressing a truth. I remember Paul was the guy that was a Pharisee of Pharisees. You know, the Apostle Paul was considered to be one of the most educated and intelligent men in the world. And uh, he was no dummy. He had studied uh, the Hebrew schools of doctrine and theology. He was a Pharisee. He had studied in their schools. He had studied uh, uh, under the Greek philosophers. He was incredibly, incredibly, incredibly well educated. And so he starts talking about these things. He knows what he's talking about. He says, look, the Gentiles, they weren't looking for righteousness, but they found it. But he goes on to say, even what they found was the righteousness of faith. 
Now, I'm just going to tell you, when you start talking about faith righteousness, like I said, it's bad enough just to try to talk to people about righteousness, what righteousness is. And man, the minute you go to faith righteousness, it's almost like their brain leaves planet Earth and they go to la-la land and have absolutely no comprehension of what the Bible teaches about it. But anyhow, so he says, but now there's, so, so there's the Gentiles. They didn't seek righteousness, but they found it. And then there was Israel who was pursuing the law of righteousness. Now, so Paul is making this distinction between faith righteousness and the law of righteousness. And again, we will go into this. And you know what? If you, if you really want to take a deep dive into this, order the audio series, because the audio series is going to have uh, hours and hours and hours of encouraging faith-building teachings about faith righteousness and the difference between faith righteousness and works righteousness and and help you be able to establish your heart in righteousness. And we're going we're gonna to explain what, what that is a little bit in this message here. But anyhow, but it says Israel, they were pursuing righteousness by the law but they never attained to the law of righteousness. So you got the Gentiles who weren't seeking righteousness, but they found faith righteousness. You got Israel who was seeking righteousness based on the law, but they they never found it. Why? Verse 32 says, because they did not seek it by faith, but as if it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stepping stone. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So Paul is saying here, the stumbling stone of the gospel, the rock of offense. Now, a stumbling stone is a stone that's laying in a path that somebody's walking along this path, and they and they trip over the stumbling stone. They hurt themselves. They do damage to themselves because the stumbling stone is a stone that you stumble over. So we're walking down the path of life, and we stumble over the stumbling stone, which means we bring pain and suffering and difficulty to ourselves because we do not know, understand, and grasp the biblical perspective of faith righteousness. But it does say that the person who will believe the truth about faith righteousness, and remember, you know, the, the offense of the gospel is, is really interesting. If you really look at it closely, you'll discover that Paul wasn't persecuted for preaching Jesus. You know, the Judaizers preached Jesus, uh, but they never preached Jesus as our righteousness. Uh, the, the Gnostics preached Jesus, but they never preached Jesus as our righteousness. They never preached him as our source uh, of salvation. And so there were a lot of people that preached Jesus. Uh, you know, the, the Roman government who was uh, murdering Christians, uh, they, didn't, they didn't have a problem with you believing on Jesus as long as you didn't believe on him as Lord. And so just the message of Jesus or the name of Jesus itself was not the ultimate offense to the pagan world. The ultimate offense to the pagan world is Jesus as our righteousness, which is specifically what qualifies him to be 
our Lord. That's an amazing thing. You know, you look around, I've had people ask me this question. They're like, well, why are there so many different denominations? Why are there so many different groups that have so many different doctrines? Well, the truth is, all of these different groups, what really divides them is the doctrine of righteousness. You know, when I first got saved, I didn't grow up in church, so I didn't know, I didn't know what one church believed versus what another church believed. And so, you know, I, I had encounters, unpleasant encounters with Catholics when I first got saved. Uh, many of you have heard me tell the story of how the Catholics in, in Huntsville uh, called me and gave me a warning that they were going to put a contract out on me if I didn't quit introducing their children to Jesus. I couldn't understand that. I thought, well, wait a minute, you're Christians, we're Christians, you believe in Jesus, we believe in Jesus, and you want to kill me because I am introducing your teenage kids who are out fornicating, killing themselves on drugs and living these horrible lives. You'd rather, I actually had Catholics tell me, I would rather my children be out here on drugs, living immoral lives than to believe on Jesus the way you preach Jesus and what you, you know, what you say about Jesus. I, I just couldn't believe it. And then of course, you know, my family was Baptist and church Christ. And man, they fought like cats and dogs. And But the, here was the amazing thing. I found out that Catholics believe that Jesus would heal you. I found out that Baptists believe that Jesus would heal you. I found out that Church of Christ even believed that Jesus would heal you. But what was interesting where the, where the gap of division came was, but what do you think it takes to qualify you for Jesus? to heal you. Same way with salvation. You know, the, the Catholics have a version of salvation. I don't, it's not a biblical version, but they, they believe in salvation. The Church of Christ believe in salvation. The Baptists believe in salvation. The Presbyterians believe in salvation. The Methodists believe in salvation. You just go down the list. They all believe in salvation. But the question is not, do you believe in salvation? The real dividing line is, so what do you think qualifies you to be saved? And so when you think of qualification, you, you're, you're really getting into the concept of righteousness. You know, one of the definitions of the word righteousness is, some, is approval. What makes me approved before God? You know, uh, I've got friends, and they are. They probably. I don't know if they would still consider me a friend. They're people that I have known for for decades, and I am telling you, they are on Facebook, and and it's amazing the posts that they make. They're so negative and and so contrary to scripture. But you know, there are. I know people that if you don't pronounce Jehovah, if you if you call it Jehovah, then you're blaspheming. If you call it Yahweh, you're blaspheming. It, but you got to call it, you got to pronounce it as as Yahweh or, you know, different different ways you got to pronounce it. If you call Jesus, Jesus instead of Yeshua, then you're, 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 you're blaspheming. And so just in their mind, pronouncing God's name the way they do, and they'll say, no, 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 I'm talking about, I'm not saying you got to do it the way I do it. I'm saying you got to do it the way the Bible does it. Well, you know, the Bible was written in Greek and Hebrew, and and so we're not going to pronounce words the same. There's nothing wrong with the fact that we say Jesus or that we, we have different words in our language. And uh, 
but to hear these people say it, you're blaspheming God if you don't pronounce the name of God the way that uh, that they do, or if you don't pronounce the the name of Jesus. Oh, and of course, you know, here's a, a, another big one: is if you don't worship on the same day, if you don't observe the Sabbath the way I observe the Sabbath, then you know, then you're in trouble. You know, you probably you probably can't go to heaven. And so, uh, and then. I mean, just the list goes on. Basically, what it really gets down to is, you always ask people, say, you know what the biblical, you know what the definition of blasphemy is? Blasphemy is when another person doesn't believe what I believe. So they are wrong. Well, really, when you start talking about right and wrong, to some degree, you are talking about righteousness, even though it's far more uh far more uh, life and depth to it than just, just right or wrong, but that is a factor. But here's the crazy thing. These battles, these doctrinal battles about righteousness were fought nearly 2,000 years ago, and, uh, and, and, and conclusions were reached by the apostles uh, where, they, where they settled these things and really where they, where they go back and, and base the way they settle these disagreements on the scripture, what we call the Old Testament. And so really these battles have been fought, they have been settled, but uh, again, people people are gonna make the Bible say what they want to say. And really this gets into just being judgmental. This gets into wanting uh, everybody to have to believe like you do. It always amazes me, people who wanna have these battles over you know, what makes you righteous, what doesn't make you righteous, it always amazes me. They don't really talk much about what Jesus did to get us saved, what Jesus did to get us righteous. They want to fuss about, and really the apostle Paul warned, he's, he's like, he said, avoid people who always want to debate about words and, and about days and about ceremonies and about rituals. And he says, you know, avoid that kind of stuff because all it leads to is doubtful disputations. In other words, it leads to arguments and conflict that doesn't build you up. It doesn't build up your faith. It doesn't make you fall in love with God. You know, one of the things I came to realize, and I have, I have taught what I'm about to say, I have taught this for most of the last 50 years. You know, uh, uh, someone came to Jesus and they said, look, what? is the most important commandment. And because if you can figure out what is the most important commandment, then very obviously uh, you can kind of get your ducks in a row, man. You, you, you can understand what your, what your doctrine needs to be. And uh, so he says, well, you know, the first and most important commandment is you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Now, I always remind people, if he had stopped right there, uh, really, you wouldn't know any more than what you knew before the question was asked. Because, you know, there, you know, for a couple thousand years, or, or really not that, that long, but really, uh, the church has murdered people uh, because, and they said they were doing it because they love God. And so if you just if you just stopped at the idea, oh, I've got to love God, well, then how are you going to define love? But then he actually qualifies that first commandment. That commandment says you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. 
And but then he qualifies it. And he said, but the second is like it. And you got to love your neighbor as yourself. So now loving God is qualified. Loving God falls under this context uh, that if I'm loving God in a way that doesn't cause me to love my neighbor, and actually, since I've got to love my neighbor as I love myself, it should help me have a scriptural godly value or love for myself. I don't mean selfish love. I'm not talking about something that's that's sick and unhealthy. But for decades, I, you know, my statement has been this, the best way to know what, you know, whether or not what you believe is really in harmony with God, does it make you fall more deeply in love with God? Does it make you fall more deeply in love with people? And does it make you able to love yourself in a godly way. If it doesn't affect you in those three areas, then the real truth is you're misinterpreting whatever it is uh, that you're reading. You know, Romans 10 verse 1, it says, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal to God for God. But listen, this, he says, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Well, I'm going to tell you, there are wonderful people, good people, people who, as much as they know how, are probably seeking to have a meaningful relationship, a meaningful walk with God, but but they can't because they are establishing their own righteousness, and they are not submitting to the righteousness of God because the righteousness of God is still the stumbling stone. It is still the thing that people stumble over and fall over. Now, again, I'm going to go into a lot more detail in this about in the audio series, which you can get right now. Remember, when you purchase uh, anything from this ministry, uh, 85% of it goes into outreach. It goes into reaching the world, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so because, because you're investing in yourself uh, and we're using those resources then to invest in the world, then the honest truth is you, you are being a blessing to yourself. You're being a blessing to the kingdom of God. You're being a blessing to the people that you influence. So, uh, be sure and check it out and and download this thing. Jump into it tonight because I'm going to give you things in this video message that that will add to what you're getting in the audio message. And the audio message itself is going to add to what you're getting into uh, these these video messages. You know, I don't have I won't go into this tonight, but uh, uh, but we will go into this in the future. You know, Paul tells. In Romans 14, 1, that people who need for you to observe certain rituals and certain ceremonies and certain laws and 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 all of these things, uh, these are people who really are not confident in God. As a matter of fact, Paul says in Romans 14, 1, receive those who are weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. And so Paul is identifying that those who make a fuss and insist that your righteousness be based on something other than Jesus. Now, we'll go into, into what that means, 
But you know, observing the Sabbath is not your righteousness. Uh, observing the law is not your righteousness. Uh, uh, pronouncing God's name a particular way is not your righteousness. And in fact, Paul warns in Romans 14 and the book of Galatians and in dozens of other places that if you're going to make the law your righteousness, then not only do you have to obey the letter of the law, and you can't fail at a single point, but it has to be right in your heart too. Well, you know what? None of us are, are going to live up to that. So listen, one of the ways you know that you're weak in the faith, I'm not saying don't observe the Sabbath. Paul says, you know, whatever day is holy to you, honor that day. Whatever food you don't feel like you should eat, honor your conscience in it. But don't make it something you're just going to use to judge and destroy other people. Let your faith be in Jesus. Listen, I'll be talking to you again next week. Share this with people that you think this will help. You be blessed. I'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Impact Ministries World Changers Podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.